Welcome to Positive Adoption, where you can find adoption, foster care, and trauma-informed parenting all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker. But more than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos from hard places. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Positive Adoption, a coffee break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption. For the month of March, we are talking about five things that you can do to help an adoptive and foster family. And this is from the book, Five Things, a Tiny Handbook for Adoptive and Foster Families and Churches Who Serve Them, which you can get as a free download, and I will link it in the show notes. But today, what we're talking about is don't judge the parents by the child's behavior. And I'm going to let Sandra start this time. Sandra, say hello. She's back. She's here for the whole month. Sandra Flack from Orphans No More podcast. I am thrilled to be back, and I just love these collaboration times. I know you and I could talk forever about (laughs) all kinds of different things, and especially this stuff that we're so passionate about. Um, So, yeah, so we were talking more. We ended the last episode kind of already headed in this direction about judging. It's easy for people, I think, on the outside to judge parents based on their children's behavior, especially when they don't know about trauma or any capital letter syndrome. A lot of our kids can look very normal on the outside. uh, And it's not always evident that they have a brain-based disability or trauma, which will affect brain development and behavior. So there's expectation set. I think a lot of times before we actually bring children home, we as parents can set some expectations. And those of us that had that rude awakening and mm-hmm. had to go get a whole bunch of trauma training, right. learned that we had to uh, modify our expectations when working with our kids and parenting our kids. But then other other parents, um, extended family members, uh, I, I sometimes hear it from my adult biological children like yes we would have gotten spanked for that or right would have let us get away with that or whatever um and because they see that we're parenting much differently church our church family and even employers which once you have kids that become teenagers and in their early 20s and they're starting to have jobs outside the home if they're able to do that um employers need to be educated you know, to a certain extent, um, I'm finding that because I have older kids and kids, a son who's 17. So, um, and he's working in the family business, Mm -hmm. but again, like we talked about previously, just because one is 17 doesn't mean emotionally or mentally they're 17. They may be more like 10 or 12. And then would you really put a 10 year old or a 12 year old on a construction site? So, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we're learning things like that. 
Um, and those expectations that others have about, we've already talked in, in some of the other episodes about expecting them to be grateful, right? Um, appreciative that they're adopted and now in this better place. Um, we addressed that already. And we started in, in the last episode to talk about the, the dismaturity, um, knowing that if, in, you know, if a child is 10, they may be more emotionally um, and developmentally more like five or four. Right. Um, so we have to parent accordingly, but others on the outside looking in don't necessarily understand that. Um, so, you know, we really, we need to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we expected when we adopted our son, who was five at the time, he's a biological brother. We brought our um, other son with us, who was just two years older. They'd never met before because mm. they were they had both been in the orphanage and, and um, we adopted the older one when he was three and then went back a couple of years later. And um, we thought, well, they're going to be best buds. Yeah. But because of the significant trauma of the younger one and severe FAS, um, he didn't know how to play with mm. someone. He only knew how to survive. Um, so my older son actually got smacked across the face while we were still in Ukraine. Um, you know, I, we understand now that the younger one was again, just trying to survive, but, um, hard stuff. So we had this expectation and now that they're 15 and 17, because there's still a big difference because of FAS, they're not, they don't do things together. So it's not even the typical, um, you know, sibling spats and rivalry kind of stuff. They just really don't do things together because the limitations of my younger son, um, you know, they do some stuff together, but, you know, it's not necessarily always by by choice. So that was hard. We had to adjust our expectation there. Um, they can look very normal, you know, um, you've used that example before, Kathleen, if a child comes into church in a wheelchair, Um, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to judge their parents because why can't that child, you know, go out and play, um, you know, on the playground with the other kids, there's there, they right away would change their expectations and understand there has to be accommodations and and, and things like that. But our kids can look very normal, Right. right? But if there's a brain based disability or harm from trauma, they're, they're going to behave much differently and then others on the outside don't really understand why that's so. So, um, you know, that is another area where we could be judged. Our parenting could be judged. Um, I experienced some of this with, with um, because my, my two teenage boys, their bedrooms are on the main level of our house. And I try to keep the, do- <laughs> the doors closed. Anybody <laughs> walks by, they don't see what that room looks like. And um, you know, I have just learned that not only are they, it's typical for a teenage boy to have a messy room, but when you have an executive function disorder, you can't just go clean your room. Like we right. would tell our biological children, go clean your room. But um, that needs to be broken down into simpler, smaller steps. So we do the, we do the necessary, like bring out your dirty clothes. Okay, now bring out any dirty dishes because we don't want, you know, rats right. and roaches. But um you know, I could, my husband and I have to be kind of, you know, shadow them in cleaning up. Like we have to walk them through the process. So if we want to devote a Saturday or a Sunday to deep cleaning the room, we would have to do that. We would have to kind of co, co-clean with them, right? We're, right. we're going we're to be their outside brain for that. But 
we don't always want to do that. We're in our fifties and there's other things we would rather do than deep clean a teenage boy's room on a Saturday. So <laughs> periodically every like once a year, maybe we have to go in there and really do it to keep the health department away. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, but yeah, I'll have grandchildren who will walk by and say, Oh, you know, Jordan's room is really messy. Yeah. You know, because of course their parents make them keep their room tip top. And then I'll start having that. Oh, they probably think my, my adult children probably think, um, you know, a bad mother. I'm not, you know, I'm slacking. I'm not making them do anything (laughs) and whatever. And, you know, because, but they don't understand what an executive function disorder would be. They don't understand what it's like to parent a child with trauma, a trauma history or an FASD. So, I've had to learn to give myself a lot of grace because I'm learning to parent a whole new way. I'm an older parent. Most people, you know, except for the foster and adoptive parents that I know, most of my peers are empty nesters. Mm -hmm. They're not having to worry about a teenage boys with, with, you know, special needs. So you have to give yourself some grace and just, and give that other person grace too, because they don't really know. And we're learning all the time. I'm learning about FASD all the time. I'm learning about trauma all the time. My knowledge base grows all the time, as does my experience. Uh, So I have to kind of extend grace to others who just, they just don't know. And they're sort of ignorant in, you know, when they make those comments, they're making those comments based on neurotypical kids. Exactly. Not what we're parenting. Um, you know, so I know I'm not a bad parent. I just, uh, but I, I, it's a hard journey most days. Um, I'm tired at the end of the day or the end of the week because I am in my 50s or by lunchtime (laughs) or by lunchtime and I need a nap. So who wants to, you know, who wants to clean an entire, so it's just priorities, but it's also, you know, accommodating, expectations and things like that. Right. And I had read this to Sandra before we started from the book, five things, good parents who have successfully parented bio children are suddenly labeled the bad parent at church, school, field trips. If the adopted and foster child has behavior issues, these behavior issues can be a lack of brain development. Both abuse and neglect can halt brain development causing a child to freeze developmentally while his peers soar past him. And I would even add to that, that we parents can begin to, like Sandra was talking about cleaning the bedrooms and how she feels guilty for a little bit. And then she remembers, no, there's no reason for me to be feeling bad about this. There's nothing. This is the executive function that's not developed. It's not working unless I go in there and do it for him or do it with him, which is co-regulating. It's not going to get done. And sometimes those things that other people from the outside are looking at thinking you're doing a bad job. We're actually doing a very good job. And we have to remind ourselves, now, Sandra is doing a very good job by not nitpicking with her sons when their room is messy, by just making sure the basics are done. So she's doing a good job because that's where they are developmentally. That's where their brain function is. That's how that's how much they can process at once is just bring your laundry out. Okay, bring your dishes out. Okay, that's it. That's all we're going to do right now. And... And that keeps more peace in the home. And that's been, you know, one of the big things is I talk to so many adoptive and foster parents and 
there's just so much chaos in the home. And I understand that chaos because I've lived in that chaos before and on and off had seasons of peace and chaos until, like Sandra and I said, we keep learning, we keep growing, we keep learning new things, we keep learning how to help our kids where they are. But the one thing that will hamper us is our self-judgment and then the judgment of other people that are close to us who say, well, you know, that child shouldn't be doing that because he's this age. And which we said, and I think it's very important to say these things over and over again, is a child from a hard place, a child who's had trauma, is typically half his physical age emotionally. And that the example you used about the wheelchair, I just I was talking to a foster mom a couple of weeks ago, and I shared that with her, and she had never heard that. So I think that you and I are so, we are so used to some of this science and some of these terms and some of these examples that we're thinking we already share that. I think we need to share them all the time because I need to hear them all the time. I need to be reminded of them all the time. So if someone is listening and they've never heard any of them, then it's eye-opening for them, you know, especially about the, the physical and emotional age and You know, looking at your child's brain development issues as being something that he can't understand, not he won't, or he can't do it, not he won't. And, you know, like your the wheelchair example, well, let's say a a child came in the room who didn't have a right arm. And you're t- everything you tell them, say, use your right arm, use your right arm. Well, who's the one who's not making any sense? It's the adult who's saying, use your right arm. And that's sometimes what these kiddos get. They're like, we're using your executive function. What were you thinking? Don't you have any logic in there? Well, no. <laughs> no, they don't. So They were thinking. They just were not thinking the logical things that we would want them to think. Right. Exactly. They were thinking, how am I going to survive this moment? Or why is this adult talking to me? And it might sound to them like blah, 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 blah. And they might be thinking, just be quiet, I'm hungry, or just be quiet, I can't stand the sound of your voice, or, you know, we, we have to think about their perspective. And I just have to remind ourselves, remind you, remember, the parents are working on it. Don't assume that they're not. Because you had talked about the lady at church, I think it was on the last episode, who told your son, oh, no, don't hit mommy. And so that assumption that we as human beings can see someone for a few minutes and be able to correct something in their lives, that that's absurd. And we do that to adoptive and foster parents. I've had it done to me. Like somebody will see me for two minutes and say, hey, here's how you need to parent that child. Like, really? You don't see... The everyday life, you don't see the depth of what's going on here or understand the implications of trauma on my child. They don't understand the history and and, and how that plays out and affects the brain. I I was just thinking if I can share this because it popped into my head. Sure. Uh, when, When our youngest son was eight, 
my husband and I got to go on a date and um, some of our, our older kids were, were home and it was summertime. So they were all outside playing basketball. They were playing a game and shooting hoops and having a great time. And my eight-year-old was having a great time. And then one by one, all of the older kids had other things to do. I have to go do you know, my chores or I have to go do my homework or whatever it was. They all kind of one by one left the game until my eight-year-old was out there. And now all of a sudden, all of that wonderful fun they were having suddenly ended. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want it to end. Now he was feeling all these big emotions because you go from all the thrill and excitement of playing basketball and running around outside with your siblings and it's wonderful and fun to then now it's over abruptly. Mm -hmm. And Though he, he couldn't process those big emotions and didn't understand, you know, why, why, why is the fun over? And so not being able to really process the, those big emotions that our kids can have, he ended up taking, I don't remember if it was a hammer or something, and he threw it at the basketball hoop, the back. Mm, the back yeah. That thing is called. Clearly, I don't play basketball. <laughs> It was glass and it shattered oh, no. all over the driveway. Nobody got hurt. But then, you know, my, my older son, Andre, called me on our date to say oh, no. what happened. And I had him help me clean up all the glass in the driveway. But I don't know what you want to do about that. So when we got home, and this is a perfect example about how the our kids' brains can work, um, we got home and the first thing our son, he came running out, the eight-year-old came running out to tell us, I helped Andre clean up all the glass. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> so clearly missed the whole, like, you know, I did this wrong thing by throwing this hammer and breaking this thing. Right. Uh, but I, because I knew the history and because I understand somewhat, you know, the impact of trauma on the brain and understand that, that the impulse control is not there. The executive function is not there. Cause and effect reasoning is not Mm -hmm. there. Right. Um, He was just feeling really big feelings because he was disappointed. The fun was over, didn't really know what to do with those feelings and then expressed them in an inappropriate way. Mm Mm-hmm. And then didn't really understand afterward why he shouldn't have done that. And then, but yet was proud of himself because he helped clean it up. So that's the kind of thing. Are we bad parents because we let our kid do that? Well, no, we didn't want him to do that, obviously. But yet I understand why the behavior occurred. Right. So that we can teach him words to express appropriately how to express those big feelings. Right, exactly. And that that's a very good example. I have many similar stories to that where the, the kid could just not process his emotions. And, and so he behaves in what we would call an inappropriate way. But to the child, it's this is the way that I feel like I can express myself right now. And that's why they we have to help them by co-regulating with them, which was, you know, picking up the glass. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just laughing because he's so proud of himself for picking up the glass, but that would be one of my kids too. So we're going to finish up today and we thank you for joining us. 
today on Positive Adoption, and we will see you next week for the final episode in this series of five things from a tiny handbook for foster, for adoptive and foster families and churches who serve them, which you can get as a free download. We'll link it in the show notes. Bye. Thanks for listening to Positive Adoption. Make sure you subscribe on thewholehouse.org to receive your gift of five things, a tiny handbook for foster and adoptive families, and receive a monthly newsletter plus updates when new books or courses are released. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, Spotify, or YouTube and leave a review so others can find positive adoption and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send an email to me at positiveadoption at gmail.com and follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Whole House and Twitter at Kath Guire. Thanks for listening to the show.